me too. And I want to know how many here receive prayer letters from my parents regularly. Okay, those of you who receive the prayer letters probably are familiar with the chronological Bible study that we've been using for around 15, 20 years to evangelize people. And this morning in Sunday school, um, I shared a little bit of what we do, just to give an idea. And then I shared a little bit about the counseling that we're doing in Brazil too with the Christians. So the chronological is to evangelize. And it's not the typical type of evangelism that's been going on for years in the churches. It's different. It's starting from the beginning of the Bible and going to the ascension of Christ where we teach 24-hour Bible study, and people actually sit through it. Of course, we divide it into three days, eight hours a day. Every two hours you give a coffee break, a bathroom break, or you can teach it in two weekends, or you can teach it two hours a week for 12 weeks. That's 24 hours or four hours one day a week, which will be six weeks. And we've been seeing literally hundreds of people getting saved. But then the second part of a ministry, which was about three years ago, we noticed that these Christians were solid in God's word, They didn't doubt their salvation. They weren't taken by any stream of doctrine. But they had issues down deep in their heart like bitterness. There was issues as moral failure. Nobody knew about it. And they were struggling in their walk with the Lord. Pride, rebellion, negative thoughts, all that good stuff. But all of a sudden the Lord brought this material to us, the counseling material, and we started using that. And the Lord has blessed it. And this morning for Sunday school we talked a little bit. We didn't even do the actual study, but we used the chart on hypocrisy and the chart on pride. And those of you who are here know what I'm talking about. But this morning I would like to speak about um, bitterness. Because I think there's not a person in this world that doesn't have to deal at least one time in their life with bitterness and forgive someone. So um, let me get my notes out here. Let's open up in Ephesians. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse starting in verse 31. And then we'll stop on verse 32. It says like this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. It just doesn't stop there. Forgive. It tells you how to forgive. It says, Even as God forgave you for Christ's sake, Okay, so God couldn't forgive us. God can't say okay to our sins. He had to put someone else in the picture to be able to forgive us of our sins, and that's Jesus Christ. You remember Adam and Eve in the beginning? They were perfect. They were connected to God spiritually. When they sinned, God loved man. And even after man had sinned, God still loved them. But because of sin, God's a holy God. He's a just God. He couldn't have contact with men. So he was separated from man. And he couldn't just leave it that way because... When there's sin, the just judge says that sin needs to be punished. Just like a judge, when someone's a criminal, he needs to punish. If he's just, he'll punish that criminal. God needed to punish sin. So watch this now. God loves man. He wants to have fellowship with him, but he can't because man is a sinner. And not only that, he needs to punish this man that he loves. So God brought Christ in the scene 4,000 years later, and he punished Christ, Christ in our place, Christ paid the price so that we could get connected with God again. So God couldn't forgive us if Christ hadn't come. That was the law. The day you sin, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And that's it. Later on, he gave a plan of redemption. And so, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. 
There's another verse that talks about the same thing. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as... I like to stress that word as because there's a lot of people out there that say, I've forgiven. But then I ask them, how did you forgive? And they try to explain to me how they've forgiven. It's nothing like as Christ forgave us. And I ask you, how did Christ forgive you? Well, he went to the cross and we know that. We see all the suffering he went through. But what did that involve? When he says, I want you to forgive as Christ forgave. That means any type of forgiveness outside of as Christ forgave is not true forgiveness. It's false. It's an absolute truth here. You can't get around it. Some people think that forgiveness is forgetting. Others say like this, I'm not bitter towards him. I just never want to see him again. And we have, in my laptop, I have about 52 sayings that we could throw up here, but I knew we weren't going to have time, so I didn't bring it. Throw it up here on PowerPoint. Questions that we could go through in probably 10 or 15 minutes to check and see if there is any bitterness in there. It's like an x-ray machine that shows where it's broken. And oftentimes people will go through it and they'll be like, whoa. Because sometimes we trick ourselves and think that we've forgiven when we haven't. Or we've forgiven the wrong way. So Bible says, forgive as Christ forgave you. And anything outside of that is not true forgiveness. Now how did Christ forgive you? That's the question. So I'd like to take you to the Garden of Gethsemane because we know what he went through at the cross. But I'd like to see what Christ had to say and how he was feeling hours before he went to the cross. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says like this. And it came, and he came out and went and had, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray ye, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a cast stone and knelt down and prayed, saying, Now Jesus is talking with God the Father hours before he's going to the cross, and this is what he said. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Why? And being in agony. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus feeling good here or not? Okay, now remember that word feeling. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, open up the same story in Matthew chapter 26. And he describes it a little more there in a different aspect. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Or starting in 30, yeah, 36. Then cometh Jesus unto them called unto a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Notice that Jesus wasn't feeling good. Then saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And then he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus wasn't feeling good at all. Number one, forgiveness is not based on feeling. 
If you wait, if someone has hurt you terribly or offended you or has a debt with you, and you wait to the day that you feel like forgiving them, you'll probably never forgive them. Number one, Jesus did not base his forgiveness on feeling. Forgiveness is simply a choice. So let's go on here. He said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was saying, I don't want to suffer all that. Jesus wasn't dying to go to the cross, just crazy to go to the cross. It wasn't feeling good. It was terrible. And he said, If there's any other way, Father, that man, mankind could be saved, may it happen, but not my will. Your will be done. And so let's imagine this. Here Jesus is in the garden. He's praying to God the Father. And all mankind during history are watching. We're all watching. And he's having a talk. And he looks up to God and he says, God, Father, is there any other way? And we all look at Jesus as he's talking. And we, when Jesus asks him that question, we all look up to God. And God says, no, you have to go. And we all look to Jesus to see if he's going to go. Because if this is a crucial moment in his life, if he doesn't go, we're all going to be burned in hell, tormented forever. This was a crucial moment. And we didn't deserve Christ to go to the cross for us. How many merit Christ's death? None of us. Number two, forgiveness is not based on merit. If you wait till the day that the person that offended you or hurt you deeply deserves your forgiveness, you'll never forgive them. And thirdly, when Christ went to the cross, He had to pay the emotional pain. Listen carefully. He had to pay the emotional pain and consequences that our sins caused Him. When God says, forgive as Christ forgave you, He's saying, the same way Christ forgave you, you forgive. It's not based on feeling. The person is probably never going to deserve it because we didn't deserve what Christ did for us. And you're supposed to be willing to pay the emotional pain and consequences. That person who offended you or hurt you deeply, there's nothing they can do to undo what they did, the damage that they did to you. And I'm supposed to simply say to them that they can go? That's wrong. That's unjust. They hurt me. They hurt me terribly. And I'm just supposed to say, okay, I'll pay for that and I'll let you go free? You see, forgiveness doesn't speak about justice. Forgiveness speaks about mercy. Because Christ paid for something that He didn't do. Just stop and think of the worst things that you've done in your life. Just meditate for a second. What were the worst things that you've done in your life? Because we don't look at the little things. But God forgave you through Christ Jesus. And He's asking you to forgive the person who has offended you or hurt you, or someone that you remember in your mind and you have this yucky feeling towards them. There's probably bitterness there. And God says, don't wait until you feel like it, because Jesus didn't feel like it. Don't wait until they deserve it, because they're probably never going to deserve it. And you've got to be willing to pay the emotional pain and consequences. What does that mean? They already damaged you, and you're going to say, you're okay to go, because Jesus said, I'm okay to go. And because Jesus forgave me, I want to forgive you. Now that's the hardest part. The last point, to pay the emotional pain and consequences. Now, if I don't forgive that person, I'm going to continue paying. They've already hurt me. And because of my bitterness, bitterness is like acid. It eats at me and eats and eats and eats. And I just keep reliving that thing and reliving it and I'm never free. But it's painful when we go through the process of forgiving with someone in counseling. We have the whole um, book that we have them fill out, the names of the persons, the things that happened, the things that those persons did the way they felt when those things happened, and we have them pray through it 
And when they pray from their heart, oftentimes people will crash crying. And it's very hard to forgive, especially if there were deep abuses from the past. But I've seen Christ forgive the impossible, help people forgive the impossible that happens on earth. Things, horrible things that happen. And Christ helps them forgive because He forgave them. And oftentimes when we go through that list that I was telling you about that we don't have here, people will look at that and they'll say, well, then it's impossible. Nobody forgives then. Because you mean you want me to let that person go and say they're free to go? I say, well, God lets you free to go. And they say, I know what you're talking about, I understand, but I lack motivation to do that. So that's where I want to take you is to Matthew 18, chapter 18. Go back a few pages. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Peter thought he was being exceptional because some people teach that, or that have studied, say that the rabbis at the time taught that you forgive up to three times and after that you don't have to forgive anymore. So Peter looks like he doubled it and added one more to make the perfect number and said, how many times do I have to forgive? Up to seven? And he thought he was being exceptional. And Jesus popped his balloon and Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes into a parable. Now, when I help people out with bitterness, and they have no concept of what bitterness or forgiveness is, I start out with the prodigal son. And I spend 45 minutes there. And then we go into the section that we've started today. And I'm just going to go through it briefly because of our time. But it says like this, Jesus starts a parable. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account with his, of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon... One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if you go look up how much that is, that's, some say it's 7 million, other commentaries say it's 70 million based on whatever the, the money value was, but it was an awful lot. And it was to the point that he couldn't pay. And when he began to, to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, as we read in now in verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children, all that he had, and, and payment to be made. This man had no conditions at all to pay. And so the king says, take his wife, take his children, and take him, and sell him for the payment to be made. Because there's no way he could pay. And this man, desperate, he fell down, and that servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Give me a chance. And what did the king do? Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. And it's the same term that they had in the prodigal son when the son came back. When the father saw him from far off, he was moved with compassion. But we didn't talk about that. So let's continue. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him. Not only loosed him and says, okay, you're loose now, but you're going to pay me every penny you owe me. No, he loosed him and he forgave him. That means he canceled the debt totally. Now, what does this scenario here, here remind you of? God, Jesus, forgiving us of the unpayable. Let's go on. But, you and I are forgiven of the unpayable debt, and we walk a little bit in life, and this is what happens. But the same servant went out, that one who had been forgiven, who was crying out for mercy. His wife and children were going to be sold. He was going to be sold. And he fell down, and that king let him go and forgave him everything. And he walks a little ways, but that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which in three months and ten days, if he got 
one pence a day, he would pay it all off. Which owed him a penny, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. This is what he did. Pay me what you owe me. Now the king had just let him go and freed him. And he walks in life a little bit and someone comes up to me and offends me and I grab him by the neck and say, pay me what you owe me. Now what he owed to me was a penny compared to what I owed to God. How can we do that? And he would not, verse 30, he didn't have mercy. You would think that the same way that he fell trembling on the floor, his whole family was going to be sold and he was forgiven, that he would stretch out his hand to forgive his fellow servant, but he didn't. You know, when you and I are bitter towards someone because someone hurt us deeply, there is no way that anybody can hurt you no matter what it is. And I know of terrible things that happen on earth. There is no way that that person can offend you more than you have offended God. But I, you say, I don't do, I haven't done terrible things in, in my life. I was raised as a missionary in a Christian home. I didn't do terrible things like those people did. Self-righteous type of an attitude. We're not talking about any God. We're talking about a holy God. The little things, your righteousness are as filthy rags to this holy God. There is no way anybody can offend you more than an offended God. So when God says, forgive that person as Christ forgave you, that's what he's asking us to do. And no other way. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not letting time go by. Forgiveness is not making excuses for why it happened. Forgiveness is not based on feeling. Forgiveness is not based on merit. That person probably is never going to deserve it, just like I never deserved it. But God is saying, the same way I let you go, I want you to let that person go. But God, look at what he did to me. But I let you go. Let's continue on. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now you and I do that to people. When we're bitter towards them, towards someone, we put them in a position that no matter what they do, we're not going to forgive them. Now how is the guy going to pay his debt when he's in prison? He can't. So when his fellow servants, verse 31, saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Now listen to this. What the king, look, I want you to listen carefully and I want you to apply that to us. When we have something against someone, this is what God is saying to us. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, God was angry, and delivered him unto the torturers till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now Jesus interprets the whole parable and applies it in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father also do unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every, every one his brother their trespasses. He interpreted it. Now let me ask you a question. When Christ died on the cross, did he forgive you from all your sins? There's nothing more that God can forgive you for because what Christ did forgave you from all your sins. You can't be forgiven more than you already are. But when we sin, our fellowship is broken with Him. And then we're, even though we are forgiven and we're going to heaven, we don't feel forgiven. We don't experience that forgiveness. You got that? So when we sin, it's not that we lose our salvation. It's that we break fellowship with God. 
and we don't experience that. Now watch this. As long as this guy was holding on to his fellow servant, what did the king do? Grabbed on to him too and gave him over to the torturers. It's almost as if God's saying, did he, did, did he forgive him of all his debt? Didn't the king forgive him of everything and let him go? But when he grabbed on to the next guy, it's almost as if he was requiring everything. As long as he was requiring everything from this man, God said, okay, it's unjust for you to do that because you were forgiven. Now I'm going to grab on to you. Until you don't let go, I'm going to grab on to you. And then I, I spend time usually speaking about what the torturers could be, emotional and physical and spiritual also, that the enemy wants to, when we have bitterness, he messes with us. But I don't have time to go into that. But as long as I'm holding on here, God knows that's that so unjust that he holds on here. And he won't let go until you let go here. It's not that you're not forgiven anymore. You are forgiven. But you're not going to experience that. And God's going to weigh his hand until for true forgiveness comes. Who is it that you have in the back of your mind? Bitterness destroys a church. And who is it that you have in the back of your mind that has hurt you or has done things wrong? They were totally, totally wrong. You hadn't done anything wrong. But you're bitter and you're holding it against them. Take a look at Christ and see what He's forgiving you for. He's asking you to forgive because of what He did for you. You know, I remember years ago when I was bitter towards someone terribly, really, really bitter to the point that I was going into depression. And I remember sitting and thinking, God, why did that person do that to me? And it's almost as if that, that scene came to my mind of Christ on the cross dying for all the wrong things that I did and He forgave me. It's almost as if Christ tapped me on the back while I was telling that person, look at what you did to me. And he tapped on me and says, well, look at what you did to me. It's almost as if when we, when we come before God and we realize everything that he did for me, how could I even continue holding bitterness towards this person? But unfortunately we do. We need to identify that. We need to acknowledge it. And we need to forgive that person. And oftentimes in the process of forgiving, of pain, emotional pain and consequences... There is a war, there's a battle there because I am going to let that person free and I've been holding on to them and squeezing them in their neck for years. And that has caused me to experience pain and trouble and lack of growth because God was weighing His hand on me too. And that gives us a little bit of motivation. But simply, forgiveness is simply an act of the will, but it involves a lot of emotions. It's not based on feeling. But feelings are a good sign to show if I still have bitterness or not. It's a good detector. Because if I'm feeling something wrong, then I'm still bitter probably. But I can't base my right choice on that feeling because that feeling is wrong. I've got to base on the right knowledge of God's Word to then make a right choice to then have a right emotion. But oftentimes we think wrong, we choose wrong with our will, and then we have a wrong emotion. And so when we try to think right, we're already, our emotions are screaming so loud in our head because look at what that person did to me and I'm angry and I'm bitter inside. Maybe I'm hypocritical and I look like I've forgiven, but inside I'm angry still and bitter. And so we, the feeling's never going to come until we start thinking right. What is thinking right? God said, forgive as Christ forgave. It's not based on feeling and deserve. And so I start thinking right, but I still have that emotion that was still there. So I'm thinking right, but my emotions are still feeling bitter. And so I start thinking right and I choose by an act of my will, even though the emotions are still here. And the moment by faith I forgive as Christ forgave, God is going to take this emotion away. That's why when you're in the process of forgiveness, you still have that feeling of bitterness inside there. And you have that war because you're thinking, I'm feeling bitter and I want to forgive, but I still feel this way. But when you, when you think right, 
you choose to forgive as Christ forgave, the emotion will come. And then you can trust those emotions because it's coming from the truth of God's word. And you're choosing by faith because faith happens in the will. Faith does not happen in the mind. It happens in the will and the emotions are what a result from that will. And we deal with that too when we're talking with people. But I like, I like boards where I can draw on because it gives more of a better illustration. But let's go to Luke chapter 4. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 3. Lots of preachers get up, and I've seen lots of them speak and convict, really convict me and others of bitterness, of immorality, of um, rebellion, of pride, things like that. But there are very few preachers that, that show you how to deal with it. In this counseling course that I shared a little bit of this morning, we didn't go, get to go in detail. It shows you step by step how to deal with it scripturally and get rid of this stuff. So today we're talking about it, but I'm not actually going into detail because we don't have the material here with us and also the time. But I'd like to finish off with the scripture and I'm going to give an illustration and then we'll finish here. Uh, verse 3 says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day return again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now watch the apostles' reaction. You know, it's different from many of us that say, oh, I forgive easily. I get upset at the moment, but then I forget, and it's over with. The people that say there are usually the ones that have deep-rooted bitterness. Because they don't understand really what true forgiveness is, because they say, I easily forgive, I just blow up at the moment. They don't understand. The apostles understood because this is what they said, Lord, increase our faith. There is no way I could forgive because they were acknowledging how, really what bitterness was and forgiveness. And, if, and they says, Lord, increase our faith. And look at what the Lord said. If ye had it faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Jesus says, okay, you want me to increase your faith? Well, let me know you something. Let me, let me tell you something. You're, if you've had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could be removing mountains or trees and throwing them in the sea. What was Jesus telling them, in other words? You don't even have faith of a mustard seed because you're not ripping trees up and throwing them in the sea. So there's, in other words, their faith was smaller than a sycamore seed. Um, so he goes on here. If ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye might say to the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Verse 7. But which of you, and all of a sudden, it seems like he changes the whole conversation, but pay attention and see what Jesus is trying to say here. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to eat meat. How many here have plowed with bulls? I've done it once or twice. I'm not good at it, but I know how it is and I've watched them do it. When they're plowing with the bull or caring for cattle, they're going through the field with the plow and you've got to be careful that you keep it in a straight line and when the bulls are going in the, towards the direction of the house, they always want to go too quick so you've got to be holding them while you're going. And when they're going in the opposite direction of the house, you've got to be making them go and whipping them to make them go. And every once in a while, they'll, they'll let out something that doesn't smell too good while they're plowing and they're walking and it gets hot in the sun and the sun is scorching and you're sweating and the mosquitoes and stuff are going around you and you get home tired, dirty and sweaty. This is the picture that Jesus is saying. Someone who is out in the field working 
and they get home, go and sit down to eat meat, in verse 8, and would not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. See, in our culture today, we would think that if I had a servant and he was working all day and he comes home, I'd say, okay, let me serve you because you worked all day. But in their culture, they well understood that the servant would work all day out in the field, tired, no matter how tired, he'd come home, clean himself up, serve his master, and when his master was done eating, then he would eat. Jesus was saying, when, what, isn't that how it happens? And they, yeah, that's how it happened. In that verse 9, does he thank that servant because he did the things that which were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, ye, when ye ha shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. What is the subject here? They started out talking with, about forgiveness, right? Jesus, and they said, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be able to remove trees and throw them in the sea. And then they, the Lord went on, and, and the Lord said, the apostle said, increase our faith, faith, and the Lord went on and said, it's not a matter of how much faith you have to forgive. It's not the matter of quantity. It's a matter of obedience. I said for you to forgive, you obey. And when you have done everything that you are required to do, you'll say, I have only done my duty. Forgiveness is not if I want to or not. For God said forgive because I have forgiven you. It's a commandment. Forgive as Christ has forgiven. And sometimes we struggle and the Lord lets us struggle and we, we get in a big mess with our bitterness until we break down and say, Lord, I'm willing to forgive. Because sometimes we're proud. And the Lord has to get past that pride, that hard, hard heart, before we, our heart becomes soft and willing to forgive. And so forgiveness is not a matter of how much faith. It's a matter of obedience towards God. God said, do it and do it. I'd like to tell you, share with you real quick. Oh, good, we have time. Um, how I illustrated this, the Lord gave me a nice illustration. What we do is we have a paper and we start out with the relatives first. Mom and dad are usually the first one on the list. Then it's spouse, children, a friend, relatives, teachers, spiritual leaders, students from class. And so the list is there and we help them fill it out. And they, when they're ready, there's an introductory prayer that they do first before they fill the, fill the page out and they pray that. And then when they fill the page out, they're done. And then we say, let's pray. And the prayer is kind of like this. Lord, I choose to forgive so-and-so for doing such-and-such such to me, making me feel whatever they felt. If it was angry, bitter, hurt, used, they put that in there. I am willing to pay the emotional pain and consequences that so-and-so caused me. I ask that you'll break the stronghold in my life and so we go through each one and sometimes people will gag. Sometimes they can't go ahead. The enemy causes them to become oppressed and we've got to pray and ask the, Lord to, to ask the Lord Jesus to judge the enemy and have them leave so they can get through the stronghold. And we've been seeing lots of people forgiving through this. It's as Jesus. It's not based on feeling. It's as Jesus forgave. It's not based on merit. But you have to be willing to pay. And that's the hardest part, to let go and say, I'm willing to let you go. I'm willing to pay for what you did to me. That's not easy. But this is an illustration. I'd like to start right here. I want you to imagine with me there's a door here and there's a hallway and on the other side there's another door where you go out. And before that door there's a little room there with a desk and someone sitting behind the desk. And I'm here and I'm bitter and I'm 
fighting over this bitterness and I don't know if I want to forgive or not because I don't know if I'm willing to pay the emotional pain or consequences, but Christ forgave me. And on the door it's written, when I am ready to forgive. And so it's written there. So finally I reluctantly open the door up when I'm willing to forgive and I close the door behind me. And when I close the door, all of a sudden I see in the walls of this hallway pictures of all the people in my life that hurt me. Clear from when I was a little kid, starting with grandparents, parents, people who have offended me deeply. And as I walk, I see the faces of those people and it brings back horrible memories. Things that I haven't forgiven yet. I, I, I feel worse when I'm going through the hallway than when I came in. And that makes me want to go back, but I know if I don't deal with this now, I'm probably never going to deal with it again. And so I keep walking and I'm going, oh no, God, why? And I see all these faces. And when I get to the end of this hallway, all of a sudden there's a room. And guess who's sitting behind the desk? God is. And he says, come in, it's time that you forgive now. And I say, God, why did all those people do that to me? Well, look at so-and-so hurt me. And then all of a sudden, someone comes behind your back and taps you on the shoulder, and guess who it is? It's Jesus. And he says, well, son, you've hurt me way more than those people have hurt you because of your sin. Look at what I went through on the cross. It's amazing that people that have been abused, they identify with Christ because Christ was physically abused. He was beat, he was spit on, he was verbally abused, he was emotionally abused, spiritually abused, and he was semi-naked on the cross. And they can identify with him because he knows what it is to be hurt. And so he says, I forgave you. I want you to forgive. And so God says to me, Jason, you know you're bitter towards me. And that's one of the first persons that I want to talk about that we have a hard time admitting that we could be bitter towards God because how could I be bitter towards God God's a holy God he doesn't do anything wrong I'm not bitter but really we know that we shouldn't be bitter and we know that God can only do right but we hold things against him let me just use one example I had parents just an example I had parents that have abused me verbally physically in every way since I was a little kid and I'm bitter towards them they wronged me but who gave me my parents who allowed them to be in my life? Who put that friend in my life that hurt me so deeply? God did. Who's in control? God is. So who am I really disillusioned and bitter with? Many times we're bitter towards God. And we don't want to admit that because we think it's almost blasphemous to say that we're bitter towards God because we know God can't do any wrong, but we do become bitter towards Him. And we got God on our hook and we got to take Him off our hook and say, God, I'm sorry for my bitterness towards you. You've done no wrong, but I've blamed you for it. And there's another person that we struggle with too. And I don't know which one it is more, bitterness towards God or if it's towards ourselves, which is the second person. Because many, many of us have done things that are so wrong and we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Really, forgiving yourself is simply accepting Christ's forgiveness. That's what it comes right down to. But I like to use the term forgive myself because many people identify with that. You've done something terrible and you're not forgiving yourself, but let me have a talk with you about this. You know, Christ, when He died on the cross, did He pay for all your sins? Yes. Did He suffer enough for you? Did He take all your guilt? Yes. You're right before God because of Christ. And He says He forgives you. God said He forgives you. But you're saying that you can't forgive yourself. You know, God can say He forgives you, but I say that I can't forgive myself. You know what that comes right down to? It? Pride. I'm better than God. Jesus, you died on the cross, but you didn't suffer enough, so I got to beat on myself to make my, condemn myself and say, you idiot, why did you do that? Now you're going to suffer the rest of your life. Christ didn't suffer enough on the cross. 
I got to make myself a little more guilty. And so if I pay for a little more, Christ, you didn't pay enough. That's an act of pride towards Christ. Really, when you can't forgive yourself, you've got to say, God, I was very, very wrong and I feel guilty about it, but thank you for your forgiveness. That's what it comes right down to. It's an act of pride. I would like to, um, to open up um, in Genesis chapter 45, I think it is. And so you have a good time there in front of the desk with God and with Jesus. You forgive everyone. And you walk out the door of that hallway. And when you close the door, it's written, I've already forgiven. And it's not an easy experience. But there are many people that are on this side of the door, over here, haven't gone in yet. And they're looking to me, or whoever's forgiven already on this side. And they're saying, brother, you have bitterness in your heart. You need to forgive. And he says, but what if I go over there? He says, what if I go through the process and I still... Feel bitterness. Well, brother, you haven't gone yet. But, 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 but. No, you have to go. God told you to do it. And sometimes they're reluctant to go through it because of all the pain that's involved. It's going to stir up things if they're not dealt with. If it's dealt with, it's not going to stir it up because whatever's dealt with is forgiven. And so you come out the other side and it's almost, I, le- I like to use this example of a bag. Many people today, there's three types of people. There are those who are carrying things from the past and it's like a big sack you get bitter towards someone, you just throw it in there. You don't deal with it. And you're carrying this heavy thing with you wherever you go. And someone comes up to you and says, Brother, you have bitterness. Look at it. No, I don't. They're totally blind. I don't have it. Another person will say, Yeah, I see it, but everyone has their cross to carry. Everyone has their problems. Another person is dragging it along and someone comes up and says, Look at it, brother. You have bitterness in this area of your life. He says, Yeah, I know, but I don't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to forgive. And then the last one is they're saying, yeah, I know and I don't care and I'm going to continue in life the way I am. There are, actually, it's four different types of people. But I'd like you to open up in Genesis chapter 45. You remember the story of Joseph? I'm going to go through it in two minutes with you. He was 17 years old. He was very young and he was in prison for 13 years in Potiphar's house in prison for 13 years. That's a lot of time for a 17-year-old. He was sold by his own brothers. And the Bible says that he would yell and call for his brothers, please don't do that to me. They would kill him if it not had been for Reuben, but they did something worse than killing him. They sold him. Because that, that was hurt him horribly. And he was dragged off to Egypt all alone. And he just had that last scene in his mind there of his brothers just looking at him and saying, let's see if your dreams are going to come true now. And just left him and sold him. And then he had to learn a language that was strange. And when he did what was right, by not falling with Potiphar's wife and committing adultery, he was thrown in the prison. Even worse. God, why did you do that? First I'm sent to this land where it's a strange language. My brothers were mean to me. You didn't do anything to stop them. And then I do what's right in Potiphar's house because I feared you. And then you send me in this prison here. It took 13 years for him to become second place in Egypt. But this is the scene here after Joseph was in second position in Egypt. Verse 1 of chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. As he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Joseph heard, 
And Joseph said unto his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They said, they thought, uh-oh, we're dead meat now. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. They were just astonished. Whom ye sold into Egypt. Uh-oh, now he's really going to revenge. You know, if I was Joseph, I'd probably say, lop their heads all off. <laughs> or maybe I wouldn't go that far. I'd probably say, you're not going to die, but you're going to suffer every little bit of what you did to me. I'm not willing to pay. I'm going to make you pay. But Joseph didn't have that attitude. I want you to see what kind of attitude Joseph had. And he had a forgiving spirit. And I want us to notice something. And Joseph said unto his brother, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. Verse 5. Now therefore, be not grieved. Look at what he said. Don't be sad for what you did. And nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God, God did send me before you to preserve life. Now let me ask you a question. Who sold him to Egypt? His brothers or God? But it's his brothers that sold him though. You notice when a person is forgiven someone for horrible things that happened, hurt, they see God in everything. Before they forgive, all they can see is that person that hurt them. But when you forgive from your heart and go through that process, you can see God's purpose in everything, in every negative and positive thing in life. And that's what Joseph said. Look at For these two years hath the famine been in the land, yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now look at what he says in verse 8. He says it no clearer than verse 8. Now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. If you have bitterness in your heart, are you willing to deal with it? Or are you going to keep holding it? It's going to destroy you. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 13, if I'm not mistaken, one of the following verses there, it says that don't let a root of bitterness grow because it will contaminate many. Your bitterness will overflow to your wife. Your bitterness will overflow and it will affect your kids and it will affect your church. So my, my calling today is for you to forgive if there's bitterness because bitterness destroys and that's, this is one of the issues, and usually I take three hours to get through it all, so we jumped a bunch. And it's in counseling, it's very special because a person can open up with whatever it is and feel loved and know that whoever's listening to them is not going to condemn them. And hundreds of people are literally are being free from issues. It used to be we were seeing hundreds of people getting saved, but the Christians were dealing with issues that weren't being solved and none of them had the courage to bring them up but when this material was presented, many people came forward and wanted to start dealing with it. So I want to encourage you, let's open in Hebrews and let's finish off with this verse. I want to encourage you all to pray for us because we know that the God has been using the chronological study, has been using this counseling course, but there are people in the U.S. that are praying for us and God is answering prayer. And God's going to reward you for everything that we are doing in Brazil. Hebrews chapter 6, and this is a verse that I want to read to you. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. When everyone has found it, I'll read it. For God is not unrighteous, or you could say unjust, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, 
which ye have shewed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's not going to forget. You could even probably forget. But all your prayers and giving and encouragement, God's going to reward someday. And God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer to finish off. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this morning that we could worship you through the songs of praise. Thank you for each individual that's here. And Father, if there is someone here that is bitter and they haven't dealt with it, Lord, I pray that Jesus would motivate them to want to forgive and that they wouldn't be able to hold on to it any longer because of your, your love just overwhelms us and your forgiveness overwhelms us and it motivates us to want to forgive. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a good time of fellowship for lunchtime. I pray that you'll bless each one as they go home. In Jesus' name, amen.